Welcome to the Delish Guestless Podcast, a deep dive into the lives and work of Hong Kong's crazy food and beverage industry leaders, hosted by The Beat Asia. This episode, we sit down and chat with Todd Darling, founder and CEO of Red Source Hospitality, the restaurant group in Hong Kong behind a dozen fun-loving eateries, including the city's most favorable New York-inspired and infused spaces, Frank's Italian-American Social Club, Frank's Records, Feeney's, and the late, great Posto Publico. Fifteen years later, after founding Red Source Hospitality, Todd is the man who has brought New York flavors to Hong Kong. Listen to his story now, only on the Delish Guest List. Enjoy! So is it Jersey or New York? Jersey. Jersey. Where in Jersey? Not Jersey. 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 Yeah. Where in Jersey? North Jersey. Wayne. Wayne. Yeah. Passaic Where? County. Where's that? It's like 30 minutes outside Manhattan. Fair enough. Fair yeah. Enough. But the connection is to Jersey. It's not to New York City specifically. I was, born, just... I was born in New York, but I really grew up in North Jersey. Okay. And um, so obviously growing up there, we spent a lot of time in the city for various yeah. reasons. Um, and I worked in the city... Um, so, but but Jersey was really home. You know, that's really where you grew oh. up. And Jersey culture is different than New York culture. And then, obviously, you left in two thousand and eight because of the financial crash. I left before that. I came, before. yeah. So I came to Hong Kong in two thousand and three for my interview. Mm. And then I, I moved here within twelve months. It might have been early two thousand and four. Um, and um, so I, yeah, I came here during that time. It was right after SARS. Um, IFC wasn't open yet. We were having our meetings um, for the company that I worked for when I came over, you know, in these kind of bare shell offices. What was the company? Pure, pure group. Sure, of course. Yeah. And so they hired me in, uh, in 2004 to open a restaurant for them called Red Bar, which is now a Shake Shack. So, so, so sort of sign of the times. Uh, but it was there. It was good. It was there for a long time. Um, you know, uh, those guys brought me over. You know, it was a fantastic opportunity. I was in my early 20s. Mm. Um, you know, I had a little bit of fun uh, when I first came. And uh, no, it was a great time. As everyone does. Yeah, as everyone does. And I was only supposed to stay for two years, you know. So it's that kind of typical expat story where, uh, you know, I thought I would do two years. Then I would go back. I had, a, you know, kind of Hong Kong on my resume. I'd go back and work for Danny Meyer in New York and, really? you know, open a restaurant. Do you think your story, like the the journey that, that specific space in the international finance center, IFC, has happened. You know, it's now Shake Shack, which originated in New York, and now you're here. We're sitting in Finney Soho, which is ostensibly a slice, a taste, a flavor of New York. Could you imagine that this journey would have taken you to here, to sitting at this podcast and to telling this story of 15 years? No, um, you know, definitely not. I mean, I, I think, you know, we always try to plan and project, you know, three years, five years out, but, you know, life never turns out the way we think it will. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, my plan was to work for a couple of years here, work for Pure Group. I ended up um, getting involved in their health clubs and running those uh, for a little while, but ultimately it wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to stay in food and beverage. And I knew these guys who were opening up a, um, an Australian steakhouse called Wagyu on Wyndham Street. I've heard of it, yeah. yeah and, um, and they were looking for a manager and, um, you know, somebody to be a sort of a junior partner. And, um, you know, I invested a little bit and I went and joined those guys. And those were, you know, they were Aussies and Brits. And, uh, you know, I was kind of the odd man out as the American from Jersey. And, um, and uh, 
you know, again, I did that for a couple of years and, um, you know, we had some good success and we opened Wagyu lounge after that. And, um, uh, but ultimately I wanted to, you know, I had a kind of different approach to the business and I wanted to pursue it and I was young and thought I knew everything. And so, um, you know, the, uh, the founding partner, Wayne Parfit, um, who's this, you know, I don't know if you know of him, but he was this kind of legendary figure in the food and beverage business. And in Hong Kong, um, he made a lot of contributions, um, to the industry. And, um, and so he bought me out. And so, um, Interesting. yeah, that was around the, that was around the time of the financial crisis. And so I had this opportunity to kind of had a bit of money in my pocket, go back home, go to Jersey or New York, you know, open a restaurant, um, as was always the plan. Um, but because of the financial crisis and I had kind of, you know, built a track record up here, I knew the market, um, and, you know, let's face it, chicken parmesan is, you know, not that unique in New York and uh, New Jersey. And that's, you know, kind of what I wanted to do. So, you know, staying in Hong Kong just made sense to do that. That's kind of how Posto Publico came about. Do you think it's somewhat ironic that you're bringing this really classic but simple Italian fare, New York, New Jersey Italian fare, not even Italian, it's just it's a New York cuisine to Hong Kong and people have, you know, raptured over the very, like, People love the brands. Yeah, I mean, well, thanks very much. I, you know, we appreciate that. And um, no, I, I don't think anyone realized, um, you know, I don't think we realized quite, you know, the significance or the impact that it had. You know, I think before Posto Publico opened in 2009, there was no such thing as New York Italian food or cool, you know, sort of Italian-American food. You know, um, and, uh, you know, we just kind of, hit a sweet spot, you know, kind of doing what we knew, I think, which is always a good thing for restaurants, kind of sticking to what you know and what's authentic. And, and, uh, and we were able to represent that. And, um, you know, we introduced hip hop into the dining room and that was kind of a big thing for us. Um, you know, it, it was a very personal idea, right? And um, it was a small restaurant and we thought, well, okay, let's just do all the things that we know and love and wish we had here. Um, and if people come, great, right? And, uh, but, you know, I think we were surprised by the success of Postal Publico when we opened it. You know, we also did local organic ingredients. At the time, there was no service charge. Um, so we were kind of at the forefront of a number of different, you know, little mini trends, I guess. So when you say we, are these, is this family homesick, tri-state New York, New Jerseyans? Or did they really want to bring that sort of sister city cuisine, that style to Hong Kong? Um, well, when I say we, um, at the time I had a good buddy of mine who was living over here. And so he was involved in the business, but also Josh Chu, who is, uh, still one of our partners. And, uh, at the moment he's spending his time at Frank's. So we were all kind of involved in the, in the sort of creation and the establishment of that idea. Um, there was a, there was another idea that we were considering doing, which was more American continental cuisine, um, and we were looking for various spaces. We looked at the space where Tasmanian Ballroom is. Interesting. Um, but unfortunately, Gilbert outbid us, I guess, on this. On Hollywood. We weren't as a, yeah, Wyndham Street. Yes. And oh, uh, we, we weren't as attractive maybe as, uh, <laughs> you know, Gilbert Young coming in with Tasmanian Ballroom. Um, but, you know, you know, we, we had this other idea, which was, a, which was Italian-American food. And then when, when the Post Publico site came up, you know, Soho was kind of a different place at the time. It was a neighborhood joint. And, um, and that kind of, you know, it ticked all the boxes, you know, it was a place that we could deliver kind of welcome home hospitality and, um, it was small and it was manageable and the investment was reasonable and, um, yeah. Do you think this, I guess, quote unquote, understated New York Italian 
American cuisine is easier to staple down, to pin down than American continental? I think it has a much broader appeal. I, I, there are there are marketing advantages, but there are market advantages, and there are also um, cost advantages. Um, the market advantages being uh, Italian American food or, or New York Italian food has a much, I think, a broader appeal than American food, um, which people associate with being heavier. It also relies more on proteins. It can be a little bit more expensive to deliver, um, and I think. You know, the Italian-American angle gives it a little bit more, you know, it's a little bit more precise, a little more specific. It's something that you can visualize. You know, there's pasta, there's pizza, you know, um, where American cuisine, you know, it's so diverse and so varied that I think the danger is, and actually we later did an American restaurant. The danger is, is that, you know, you don't really know what you're getting when you go there. People think of Dan Ryan's, for example. And American cuisine, you can pinpoint it on the coasts what is Californian cuisine what is cuisine that you get well obviously you know Texas you know the southern states what about the northeast corner right you know? it's, it's very regional exactly it's yeah. regional uh, you know American regional cooking you know it's you would pick a region and then so when you created Red Sauce Hospitality and I think that is a name brand in Hong Kong that people can recognize and I think people can associate immediately Red Sauce ties together pizza pasta the accoutrements the appetizers was the idea accoutrements? Bring... By the way, is not something we would use in Jersey, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, you never know; there might be a bit of French mean. influence. <laughs> yeah, um, but was the idea to you know bring the late former great Posto Publico into a family of restaurants as well? And sort of when did that germinate? That idea? Uh, that's a good question. No, uh, I mean, um, I guess no and yes, right? I mean, mm. uh, when we set up Posto Publico, we thought there might be more restaurants after that. Um, I think. You know, looking at uh, 15 years later, you know, it's still a fraught decision for me personally. There's a, a lot of tension in terms of, you know, should I have grown the company? Am I happy with it? Do I get to do the things and engage in the activities that I truly love about the restaurant business now that it's more than one restaurant? Um, so it's something that, you know, I often think about. So, you know, yes, we have more than one restaurant, but I don't think we've ever considered ourselves a group of restaurants. You know, I think we've still tried to keep it consistent amongst the brands in terms of what we do and, and what we approach and the people who are executing it. And um, it is very much still a family business. You know, mm. my, my brother, um, for much of the last seven or eight years, was very involved. Uh, you, know, you know, Josh, who's our partner, his wife is sitting over here working. Um, their son sometimes works, you know, so we have husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, children, you know, um, and so it is still very much a family affair. And, um, you know, that's the kind of restaurant that I grew up, those are the kinds of restaurants I grew up working in. And so I think, um, you know, it's the kind of restaurant family and company that I wanted to build. So is this the sort of feel that you wanted to emulate? You get Soho of New York, then you also get the eateries and trattorias of New Jersey. You really want to bring that spirit and style to Soho, which is the neighborhood for everyone in Hong Kong. Yeah. Neighborhood restaurants, family owned hospitality. I mean, you know, those were the things that, again, you know, I was taught, you know, I, I grew up working in restaurants. There was no computer systems. You know, Frank, who Frank's on Wyndham Street is named after, you know, he taught me a lot of the things that we still kind of teach to people here in the restaurant. And I think, um, you know, the most important thing that he ever said, you know, this was a man that never spent a dime on marketing, he never sponsored a sports team, he never obviously did social media. Um, 
you know, he'd send out some free appetizers here and there to people. But, you know, his big thing was is that, um, you know, you're always going to make mistakes, but just make sure that every guest leaves happy. And I think, you know, that's more true today than it ever has been, you know, and I think um, as restaurateurs, you know, the industry has changed so much since I started with this, you know, celebrity component to the business uh, that it's very easy to get um, lost in the hype and um, lost in the sauce, you can say lost in the sauce, you know, focusing on the Instagram bread, you know, um, all this bullshit social media. Um, and um, it's very easy to kind of focus too much energy on those things instead of just focusing on bringing it back to basics and delivering good hospitality. Mm. So if people sit down and they understand, right, I've eaten at Feeney's, I've eaten at Posto Publico before, you know, it left our arms and our hearts and Frank's as well. Where's the, where are the differences? Well, Feeney's and Frank's, I mean, are very different beasts. Uh, you know, Frank's is a Italian-American social club. You know, it's really, you know, as it's also, you know, as, as much as it's for people who are love good eating and drinking, passionate about food and drinks, it's also for people who are passionate about music. Um, so we spend a significant amount of time and energy in terms of selecting the DJs who play there, the genres that they're playing, even within the genres, you know, it's a constant conversation like, oh, like, was that hip hop too new? You know, was it after 2005? You know, that that's like the running joke. Um, because truthfully, if it's any hip hop after 2005, like my eyes glaze over, you know, I'm 43 years old, you know, I can't even, you know, I can't listen to it, you know, so I'm always like the first one to be like, um, what year was that? You know what I mean? You know, I just have to know. I'm like, oh, it's Kanye West. I'm like, I don't care. You know what I'm saying? Or it's Jay-Z, but if it's not before 2005, I'm just not. Because I don't know, from John Landis, Tiger Rock, <laughs> or DJ Fu, I think I've heard a bit of Kanye. I know. But maybe it was... Look, look, I don't oh, always yeah, get my way. I, I, it could have been before 2005, but maybe not. And I don't always get my way. And, you know, I have to, you know, kind of give them some creative. Yeah. Me. But uh, so anyways, Frank's, you know, there's a there's an all vinyl music policy. Um, so we play records all day long. Um, and there's a real emphasis on, as I said, the experience and music. Um, whereas Feeney's is a very casual, family-friendly friend, brand. I mean, um, you know, we... Yeah, I mean, we're known for 18-inch pizzas, so some of the products are different. Uh, but it, it is supposed to be much more sort of democratic and accessible than Frank's is. Let's pause this quickly to say that if you've enjoyed listening to our voices, we want you to check out the Beat.Asia for more exciting content just like this. The Beat Asia is the fastest-growing regional publication for local news, happenings, culture, and more. So check us out at the Beat.Asia. All right. Now back to Todd. And going back to Posto, you know, a landlord traditionally in Hong Kong gives you two, three years max, and then we'll move on to the next project to squeeze money out. What does it mean for you guys to be at the birth of Soho, sort of the precipice of in the 2000s, you know, really growing up as a neighborhood that you can drink, party and eat in, to lasting for a decade and a half? outlasting a lot of neighbors as well. Yeah, and I think if it had it not been for the construction across the street, uh, we would have made it through this period. The construction was sort of the final nail in the coffin. Mm -hmm. You know, there was um, dump trucks parked on the sidewalk. I, I went to go open up one day, and there was this dump truck that was parked, you know, literally up on the sidewalk about a foot or two from the entrance to the door. And um, and so, I, you know, I, I realized that during this period of time, we were, we were not going to be for lunch. Um, and so, you know, there was, 
yeah, I mean, it was just too much, I guess, the, uh, the construction. Um, but, you know, lots of people blame the landlords. I never really was one of those operators. Um, ultimately, you know, the buck stops with, you know, the decision makers in the company. You know, if you got involved with that landlord at that price for that length of time and you chose to do that concept and charge that price and execute the way you did, you know, all of that is within your grasp. I'm kind of, you know, from New Jersey, I'm old school like that. You know, I want to have a relationship with my landlord. You know, it's usually a red flag for me if somebody's not willing to sit down with me. I'm giving you several hundred thousand dollars a month to do business with you and you can't have a coffee with me to, to finalize the deal. You're probably mm. not going to be somebody that I want to work with. And that's why we haven't really moved into too many big commercial developments. Um, I had a bad experience many years ago at the L place and that was like catastrophic for our company. Um, and that's kind of related to the expansion question. Um, I mean, that was too big, too fast, but landlord was very difficult to work with. Um, and I left a real sour taste in my mouth. And so, uh, you know, I, I really invest a lot of time in trying to find the right sites and making sure the landlords is, is a part of that. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why we haven't really grown the way some companies do. Do you think it just lends itself to being more of an organic process? Exactly. Um, you know, this location opened in 2014. Uh, the location in Wanchai opened in 2018. And we had run an American restaurant there, you know, successfully for six years, um, you know, for since 2012. And then um, recently, Feeney's and Elements opened. And that is going quite well. And I, I mean, I don't know, is it, ra- it's probably not rapidly for Hong Kong, you know, the way groups are usually open in Hong Kong. I, I don't know. I, I just think I struggle as it is remaining in love with what I do with the business as we expand anyway. So, um, look, I, I mean, I think restaurants in general uh, kind of reflect the values of their owners and their founders and the people who are working in them. And you can't escape that. You know, you really, you know, you can try to fight that, I guess, but you, you really can't escape it. And I, I guess at the end of the day, I mean, this is a family business. And if someday it grows and expands more, that might be the case. But I mean, we're not uh, sort of measuring our success by, um, you know, having dozens of restaurants. I think, you know, from a business standpoint, our strategy has always been, you know, let's make as much with one restaurant as other people make with two or three. You know, let's really invest our time to develop what we have and, and get better within our four walls, be more efficient, deliver a better experience, drive more sales, you know, and, um, you know, opening a restaurant is extremely disruptive. You know, it, it just is. I mean, if you, to do it right and to really give it the attention and love that it deserves, you have, to, it's a all out effort and you have to take resources from one place and put it into another. And I need to be really involved in that process. And I cannot be really involved in that process six times a year. That's impossible. I mean, I, I probably could do it, but I would hate it. Very truthful. You know, I'm yeah. sure other op- restaurant operators are killing themselves doing this. Well, maybe they, maybe they love the thrill, the hunt. You know, they they yeah. love different aspects. You know, they love the they love something else about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but you have limited eggs, and you like your eggs, all yeah. all it, of them, and you want it, them. In it, look, I, 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 I want I want them to last. You know, I want when we when we set out to open a restaurant, we don't think about it in three or six years. You know, I, you know, I think like I was disappointed that post only lasted 13 years. I really felt like it could have been here 20 or 25 years or longer. You know, if it hadn't been, obviously, for the last couple of years in the construction, you know. So um, so when we go into something, you know, the landlord, is this somebody that we're going to be able to sign new leases with going forward? Do we see the neighborhood developing the way we hope it will? Um, and, you know, those are all the things that we ask ourselves. You know, so Soho is here is 10 years. Wan Chai is uh, 13 years at this point. Frank's fairly new, but, you know, it's getting up there already at five years, I think. And to this growth, to the expansion that was previously only one in 2009, what does Red Source Hospitality mean for Hong Kong? 
what is red sauce? How, I mean, you know, that changes with, you know, as Hong Kong is changing, I, I think that that changes. After um, the four years of uh, shit. Yeah, after the, yeah, after the four years of shit. I mean, it's been, you know, it's convulsive and, yeah. uh, you know, serious upheaval. And, you know, Hong Kong is, is, is in the process of changing um, quite significantly. Um, so what red sauce meant before might not be what red sauce means going forward. Um, you know, I think we had always carved out a place for ourselves as somebody who was committed to the craft of hospitality in the restaurant business. And I'd like to think that we would remain as sort of a niche company, specialty company, if you will, uh, focusing on certain areas. Um, we will never be, I mean, I hate to say never, but I'm pretty sure we'll never be a portfolio company, you know, where we have to have a Vietnamese restaurant, Cambodian restaurant, Sri Lankan restaurant, Indian restaurant. You know, you know I think we'll remain focused and specialized, and, uh, and I hope we can continue to be recognized as, you know, leaders in hospitality. And, you know, I mean, we, you know, we've done different things over the day. I mean, I mean, I, I, you know, we like to have a bit of a pioneering spirit. You know, we were, I think we were the first to bring this local organic farm to table idea with Posta Publico. Um, you know, so we like to try new things. We like to innovate. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think those are still some of the things that you know, we still look to do, you know, going forward. And um, what does 2023 have in store for? Oh, we just need to settle down. <laughs> you know, we, we just need to get our groove back and um, Absolutely. You know, find our mojo, I guess, is the other way of saying that and uh, kind of stabilize things. And, um, you know, we're always open for new opportunities. But, um, you know, we feel like with, we have great opportunities with what we have. You know, we have, uh, you know, we're rebuilding our teams, rebuilding our culture, uh, rebuilding our, our uh, sort of audience for what we do. And, um, and you know, the, I think the motto for this year is back to basics. I think that is the motto. I've heard too much, you know, talk in our stores over the last six months about like, we're not doing enough on Instagram, you know? And I, 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 like, I just thought like, forget it, you know, like we're still going to be posting, you know, still going to do stuff like that. But, you know, I just want us to focus on making sure that every guest leaves happy. And, um, if we do that, then we'll have a business. And, uh, so, you know, that's it, you know, back to basics, keep it simple. You just want to make enough, you know, New York and New Jersey, Italians, very dumbfounded when they're strolling through Soho looking for the next thing to do on their afternoon on their weekend trip and they're like oh wow that's uh, exactly that's interesting you know post publico was home to so many um particularly americans from new york and new jersey you know it was like the first place that people brought them when they came to hong kong on business or they moved to hong kong and um and you know i think that was really interesting you know, and that, that occurred to me because when we were closing Posta, I had all these messages from around the world. People like, oh, Posta was the first restaurant I went to. And, um, and you know, it was interesting. It's like when Posto closed, you know, what I, one of the conversations I had with the landlord, he was like, why is it so tough? You know, and I, I told him that story. You know, Posta was like the first stop, you know, for people coming from New York. People don't come to Hong Kong anymore. You don't have that kind of replenishment and that sort of new, you know, that new audience of people coming, you know, in waves like it did prior now whether that comes back you know probably will come back um but you know to what extent we don't know yeah well thank you huh. we're gonna move on to the buzzfire question round and that's 15 questions that you haven't seen before obviously and you're just gonna have to answer them straight up like straight up as in well, ye yes or no or well, not yes or no but uh you know off your heart oh, okay. they're not f well they're funny questions they're not okay. serious questions <laughs> all right um I'll try to be as candid as i can <laughs> You're doing well so far. Um, 
You need to drop everything tonight and you travel with your partner to one restaurant to have dinner. Where are you going in the world? That's a good question. You know, I probably would go to Marrakesh where I got married. Nice. Tajin? Uh, they do French Moroccan food. I'm, I, the name of the hotel is Riyadh Al Fen, um, which okay. is where I got married. And that, that's probably what I, I, I probably would skip the tagine. I've been to Morocco so many times and eaten it so many times. I'm not sure that that would be the first thing I would go to. But, uh, but yeah, so probably Morocco. Perfect. Um, what event or person shaped your career the most? Frank. And yeah. who is Frank? Uh, so Frank was my, um, you know, I worked for Frank as a waiter on and off in my teenage years. And, um, and then when I, I dropped out of college and I had to kind of live in back with mom and dad, and, you know, dad was like, yeah, you can stay here as long as you want, but you have to contribute to society. You know, you can't be a menace anymore. Um, you need to contribute. So you need to get your shit together and find something to do, you know, I thought about going to work for him and, but you know, ultimately the one thing I had done consistently was work in the restaurant business. And, um, I loved the sort of colorful cast of characters that I came across both on my team, but also the audience, you know, I mean, um, you know, the customers. And, um, and so I thought, you know, can I make, can I make something out of myself and that, you know, without, you know, without a degree. And so I applied to culinary school, got accepted. I went to go see Frank. Um, I hadn't seen him in a year or so. And I was, you know, I had this memorable conversation with him um, and uh, I sat down with him and I said, Hey, I need a part-time job. I want to become a chef like you. And he was like, what are you a fucking idiot? He was like, you see how I work like a fucking dog every day. He's like, you want to be a chef like me? He's like, please don't make the same mistake I made. He's like, I'm going to teach you the front of house and you're going to run the front of house for me. Okay. And you know, I'm not going to pay you very well, but it's going to be like getting paid to go to school. And I was like, yeah, well, I want to go to school. And he was like, you don't need to go to school. He's like, you don't need to go to school. He's like, this business is for fucking morons who are willing to work really hard. The only thing you got to do is work harder than the guy next door. That's it. He goes, you don't need to be a genius to, to make it in this business. And, uh, and I said, he said to me, I said, you know, I, but I never managed a restaurant before. And everybody here is twice my age. And then he gave me another piece of wisdom, which we also share in the restaurant today, which is, you know, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Just don't make them twice. And, uh, and uh, so... You know, I had this great conversation with him where he kind of dropped all this wisdom on me. And um, it's a lot of things, like I said, that I still share with people today. And, um, and so he gave me the keys to my first restaurant managing. And he taught me the old school way of, of managing a restaurant. And, um, and those were formative years. I mean, they were great years. And, um, you know, I got to make tons of mistakes and I didn't make them twice. So I made some really horrible, huge ones. Um, but, you know, it was good. You know, he, um, yeah, I mean, I did it for a couple of years before I came to Hong Kong. I did it for two years. And so really, I think that, that left the longest impression on me. Beautiful. I'm guessing the next question is going to be pretty self-explanatory, but where's the, your most favorite city in the world to eat at? New York. Of course. I mean, I, I love Italy as well, you know, but I, I think, you know, New York probably takes so, it. So these questions are also pretty self-explanatory because I think we've heard this already. Uh, but if you had to meet, eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? And what goes into making a great pizza and pasta dish? Um, one dish, if I had to eat it the rest of my life. Is it pizza or pasta? And no, I don't know. It's probably something very bland and boring. You know, uh, it's funny. You know, I mean, restaurateurs, I mean, at least me anyways, it's like uh, I eat the food in the restaurants all the time and I truly love it. You know, but at home I eat Chinese food. <laughs> um, uh, so one dish, I don't know. I probably couldn't name one. That's, that's tough. Maybe peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Um, and then, uh, you know, what's the key to uh, great pasta and pizza? Uh, you know, the ingredients. 
you know, we, you know, we make all of our mozzarella fresh, homemade, you know, so when you get a margarita pizza here, it's fresh mozzarella made that morning. The pasta's all homemade and fresh. Um, obviously, we spend quite a bit of time, you know, developing the red sauce recipes. Um, and so, yeah, it's about freshness ingredients, the quality of the ingredients. Um, and I think with those things, too, it's, uh, you know, simple also. How do you control the water? Because I know New York pizza has that. No, that je ne sais pas with the uh, the New York water, you know, the public water. Yeah, well, it's um, well, you know, making dough is different in every place, every city, every kitchen. You know, the pizza dough is different here than it is in Wanchai, than here is in TST, here is in the central kitchen. You know that we have, and um, and that, um, you know, it you have to have a culture of pizza making in order to adjust the dough recipes on a daily basis to meet the humidity that's in the air and the temperature in the kitchen. Dough is a finicky, funny thing. It's alive, you know, so um, you got to adapt. Beautiful. In a few words, how do you innovate at Red Sauce Hospitality then? Very creatively. Very creatively. Very creatively. No, I mean, like, I mean, you got a problem, you got a brainstorm, you got to think about how to solve it. And, um, yes. and everything is always questioned. You know, why do we do that? There was a reason at one point why we decided to do it. Is it still relevant today? And why, did the, why does the industry do it like that? And just because other people do it like that doesn't mean we're going to do it like that. You know, we don't really go and visit. I shouldn't say that we don't eat out. Of course, we eat out at all the restaurants. Um, but, you know, we don't concern ourselves too much with what other people are doing. And I think that um, lends itself to being a little bit more creative and innovative because... It comes from within, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. So the, there's friendly competition within the family. You know, how to innovate. Sure. Yes. With, our own, with your own taste buds. Sure, yeah. What concept restaurant would you like to see in Hong Kong next? I do not want to see any more concept restaurants in Hong Kong. That's but, my answer for you. But different cuisines, no? Uh, you know... Because um, every chef we've, and restauranter and tastemaker, they've all had an incredible answer. You've been brutal really? Answers, yeah. I felt like my answer was pretty honest. It's pretty honest, yeah. So yeah. what's the difference between a restaurant that serves French food and a French concept restaurant then? Is it that je ne sais pas? I don't know. When I, when I go out to eat, well, first of all, when I go out to eat, I eat mostly in Asian or Chinese or Japanese restaurants. Or I eat in like, like I go to like the falafel shop down the road where they make like really good falafel. Falafel Tel Aviv, yeah. Exactly. And um, so, you know, I like authenticity. I don't identify with concepts. You know, I want to feel like I'm going to something where, you know, the values of the owners and the people who operate and run it are represented in what they do, you know. So whether it's maybe a Filipino restaurant or a Nepalese restaurant or, you know, a Chinese restaurants, obviously, you know, I kind of identify with those things. I mean, that place was started by two Israeli people. So, I mean, it's just... Do you go there? Yeah. 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 I go it's there good too. Yeah. At least, good at least once a week I go. I have to get my Hong Kong doesn't have good Israeli food. Sadly enough. Yeah, I would enjoy that. You know, yeah. I love Israeli food. There's some good ones in New York that I've been to. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you had to eat one cuisine for the rest of your life, it would be New York. It would be Italian. Yeah, New Italian. York. Italian. Okay. Italian so what is so great about New York, New Jersey, Italian food then? Simple. Well, it is simple and, you know, kind of breaks a lot of the boundaries of Italian cooking. You know, it doesn't adhere to, it doesn't have to adhere to kind of the, you know, Italian food in Italy is regional. Right. And there are a lot of rules and things that you do in certain regions that you don't do in others. And, um, and I respect that and appreciate that. And um, that's all gotten kind of 
messed up and blended together in New York and New Jersey and in Italian American cooking. And I, I like that, you know, I like the freedom and the flexibility within the genre to kind of, you know, not be so rigid with what we do. And so, um, I think that's one of the reasons why we've been successful, you know, I mean, here at this restaurant, we have, we have Buffalo wings, you know, it's not exactly traditional Italian food, um, but it works really well. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it would be Italian American food. Why does Hong Kong feel home after how many years that you've been here? Why is it still your home? That's, that's a really good question. Um, Too lazy to move out? No, definitely not. <laughs> I'm a very restless. Um, I'm a very restless person, discontented. And, uh, you know, Hong Kong has been home for 20 years, basically my entire adult life. My oldest son is born here. Um, I have a very, um, I really love Hong Kong in many, many ways. Um, but I think like any place where you've lived for a long time or where I grew up in New York and New Jersey, I, mean, I don't love everything about New York and New Jersey. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think, I think you, you can call a place home when you love it and hate it. Uh, I love to hate Hong Kong and I hate to love it. Yeah. So, so why do I stay? Is that what you, it, why is it still home? Why is it still home? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's still home because I'm an adult and I have practical considerations that I have to, I have to think about. I mean, if I was 28 years old now, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know if Hong Kong would be the place, honestly, where I would come if I was young again. Um, but it might be, you know, in another year or two. And, um, so I'm not ruling that out. I just, you know, the Hong Kong that when I came is different than the Hong Kong today. Um, so I remain here because I have a family business here. Uh, my family is here. I find Hong Kong a very, very interesting place to live. Um, and so even though, you know, I don't love everything, I don't love all the changes the last couple of years, but I, um, you know, I'm deeply interested and invested in Hong Kong and I love Hong Kong culture. And I find it a completely fascinating place. So I'm in, you know, I'm engaged always with what's going on here. Do you think it's easy to fit into sort of the fabric of Hong Kong as it would be in New York? You know, I lived in New York for a few months, a couple of years. You feel a bit lost. I think Hong Kong, you get, you feel at home. You know, I guess with, it's, it's in our sort of immigratory expat community, having this sort of neighborhood that you can fall into, and many of them across Hong Kong, you fit right into a lot of people that are rushed, crazy, stupid to live here. That's a good question. I mean, I don't have that same sort of immigrant, uh, you know, perspective going back to New York and New Jersey. So I don't really know what that was like for you. Um, but, you know, I, I might say that, that Hong Kong might be even more welcoming because um, it was such a, a kind of international crossroads of East meets West and people coming and going all the time. And, um, you know, particularly of the professional class, you know, people who are coming here for well-paying jobs and, you know, coming through and, you know, there is this, you know, adult playground kind of feel for a lot of the expats who come here. Um, and so I think, you know, I, I mean, I think sometimes people compare it to like college extended. And um, yeah, I think there was a bit of that for me when I first came. And, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I could see how welcoming it could be. Um, and my final question, what are you cooking up in the coming months that you can share with us on the podcast? Well, I mean, it's all top secret. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can't. Let anyone know what we're about to embark dun, dun, dun. on. Yeah. Um, what can I tell you? Um, you can just say you're cooking up top secret. We're cooking up top secret uh, <laughs> sauces. And, uh, you know, we're definitely not doing concepts. But, um, you fuck know. Fuck concepts, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> fuck concepts. Uh, but we are doing, uh, you know, hospitality and uh, music at Frank's. Um, I think 
yeah, I mean, we're doing our thing, you know, we're just keeping it real. What was it like? We were Tang Clan visiting Franks on the weekend, uh, clock and flap. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, it was surreal to see Wu Tang, you know, um, against the backdrop of Hong Kong. And I saw them a few times growing up in New York. Um, it was a very different experience here than it was there. But I mean, I guess the thing that was heartening about it was all of the young people who were still so engaged and influenced by the music. Um, hip hop is a very subversive art form, you know, and I found that to be very inspiring, you know, that we were able to get a little dose of of hip hop and particularly Wu Tang here in Hong Kong, even though there weren't as many members as I would have liked to have seen. Yeah, I think I feel like, you know, I mean, Hong Kong, I mean, inspired the Wu Tang clan. I mean, you know, Method Man could have gotten his ass on an airplane and come and paid some respect, but hey, no. I think I saw on John's John's Instagram he was complaining about that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I was with John. For more great F&B stories in Hong Kong and beyond, tap follow to keep up with the Beat Asia. This episode is hosted by myself, Ruben Verbes. Big shout out to Todd Darling for coming on the Delish Guest List to share his story. Our producer and editor for this episode is Natsuki Arita. That's all for this one. See you in the next episode. <laughs>